You know, it's hard to understand, and at least it is for me, maybe it's not for you, but it's hard to understand how how Jesus, our sinless Savior, sinless, perfect Lamb of God, Son of God sent from heaven, incarnate in the flesh, how he was tempted in every way, in the same ways that I've been tempted, in the same ways that you've been tempted, yet without sin, completely victorious, completely conquering every temptation. Now, whenever I talk about temptation and the things that drop into our hearts, we know temptation itself is not sin. If temptation was sin, then Jesus being tempted would have been a sinner, but he wasn't a sinner just with the temptation hitting him. But I, I like to look at temptation, and if, if we were all hooked up and hardwired to, a, to an LCD screen everywhere we went, in every temptation or every thought that was conceived in your heart or your mind that sort of passed through was, was kind of shot up on that screen. Even if while I'm preaching, I was hardwired to these LCD screens and projector behind me. It would be a horrifying thing. It'd be terrifying. But Jesus somehow, our sinless, we okay back there? Is it trying to, is it trying to, trying to project something? It doesn't seem to be cooperating very well. We fixed one, we fixed one devil this morning. Now we got to, anyway, never mind. But there's great comfort in knowing this truth of Jesus' victory over temptation, even though we perhaps can't fully grasp it. Today, as we read through this book of Hebrews and some different passages, we're going to just get this affirmation and look at this study of how Jesus' blood accomplished salvation for all who believe. Those great words right there in verse 14 where it says that if we can put verse 14 back up, it says that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. I mean, we have a perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, who, I don't think that's 14 or maybe it's the first one, Hebrews 4, 14. There we go. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, his name being Jesus. You know, this, we on Resurrection Weekend, we we focus year after year after year, we focus on the suffering, we focus on the torture, we focus on what Jesus' suffering has accomplished for us. But, you know, Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, what it begins to do is, is really help us to see and understand how this actually happened. And on that day when Jesus breathed his last breath and on that famous Mount Calvary when those others being crucified on his left and his right, one whom obviously 
was there with him same day. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. This, because of what Jesus accomplished on this cross, is where we gain our confidence. It's where we, it's where and why we can have confidence. Now, don't confuse confidence with arrogance. Sometimes we, we get those two mixed up. We're to be confident in what Christ has accomplished, but yet not arrogant, humble, and humbled by what Christ has accomplished for us. It says that this then in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, Matthew Henry says that we should encourage ourselves by the excellence of our high priest to come boldly to the throne of grace. Mercy and grace are the things that we want, and I would even add the things that we need. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Mercy to pardon all of our sins and grace to purify our souls. Besides our daily dependence upon God for present supplies, there are seasons for which we should provide in our prayers These times of temptation, listen, either by adversity or by prosperity. Temptations can come in both because of both seasons of life. Oftentimes we think of temptations as only from the adversity that comes against us. But even with the blessings and the provision of the Lord and the the abundance that comes into our life, Prosperity also brings its own type of temptations. And then it ends there with saying, and especially our dying time. So whether we're being tempted through adversity or whether we're being tempted through prosperity, in in and through both of these type of temptations, there needs to be a dying to ourself and a living to Christ. You know... It was a big deal in Hebrews for the writer to be telling us to have boldness and confidence because this was quite the contrary to how the priests had to enter in into the tabernacle. We, we depicted last week on a, on a number of occasions how the, the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices had to be applied we didn't go into great depth on the Day of Atonement, but we, we flew by it. And on the Day of Atonement, which was once a year, which was more in the fall than, than the spring, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer blood for the sins of the people would enter in into the holiest of all, the portion of the tabernacle. But here's the thing. When the high priest went into this, to this holiest of all, this holiest of all places upon this earth, he didn't go in there like, like just like, rah. he didn't come in there with just like this, this rah confidence and, and, and boldness and, and just this great assurity. I mean, he entered into this, into this holiest of all place with the blood, with, with fear and trembling. 
Fear and trembling is how he went into there to where, to where the ark was. And on top of the ark was the mercy seat. And we'll see that in a moment. But he went into this place with fear and trembling. Every step was, was one that was taken so cautiously. The thoughts of his heart, the, the things that were going through his mind. I mean, he had to wash, he had to dress, he had to prepare and sanctify himself in the natural, which now God takes care of through the Spirit in our hearts now. But now in Hebrews, look at the difference of what the blood has accomplished. The blood of Christ, when a man and a woman comes to Jesus and has the blood applied, now we're being taught and instructed that we can have this boldness. Everybody say boldness. This is why we as Christians, we can be bold. Now, again, don't understand me as to, as to imply that we should be arrogant or, or that we should look down upon on other people because, but by the grace of God. And somebody say amen. amen. But by God's grace that he has shown to each one of us. So we don't, we don't allow our hearts to be lifted up, but yet with a confidence, a newfound confidence we're now instructed that we can come into God's presence because of his blood. We look at verse in chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9 it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, verse 9, and being made perfect, and being made perfect, let's say it one more time, and being made perfect, I mean, he was perfect, right? But in being made perfect, we'll, get, we'll come back to that. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, we're talking about a high priest who can identify, and, and let's, just, let's just bring these terminologies to, to maybe something that we can understand in our, in our vernacular a little bit better. I mean, we're talking about a, a mentor. We're talking about a leader. We're talking about maybe a priest. We're talking about a, a pastor. We're talking about a, a parent. We're talking about a, a perfect leader in our life who had to walk through the same things that we walk through in order to be able to have empathy and compassion and sympathize with us. I mean, it's one of, our, it's one of the uh, parents' greatest challenges, you know, every, every parent in the room when we, were, when we were young, we did certain things, right? Does anybody want to shout out some of those things that you did when you were young? Probably not, especially if you're looking around, if your kids are somewhere around. You know, so maybe one of the greatest challenges is as, you're, as our children begin to, begin to grow and, you know, to remember that, oh my goodness, they're just doing the same things that I did when I was younger, 
and to have empathy. I'll never forget, and if James is in here, I don't think he is, but if he's in here, I, I will ask him to forgive me later. <laughs> it's, the, it's the problem with being a pastor's kid. But one day I remember just harping, 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 harping on James for whatever reason. It probably wasn't even anything big. And just going, and finally he turns around, and it's one, I'll never forget this. I mean, I'm going to be like 85, 90, 95 years old, say, James, remember the time you told me this? And I'm just going at him and harping on him, and, and he looks at me, he says, he says, you know, Dad, he says, I'm, I'm a good kid. And I sat back, and I thought, and he's like, then he finished. He didn't stop there. He said, what were you doing at my age? I said, point, point well taken. It got him through that day and maybe a week or so, and I'm sure I got right back to harping. He, could only, he was only able to pull that out on me one time. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't used it again yet, but I did learn a lesson. That day I did learn, and I did, I did have a, a reality, a moment of reality, of awakening, of how to have empathy and how to have compassion on, on those in our life whom, whom we love and whom we lead and, and whom we are wanting them to follow our example. And I, I, I relate that back to Christ and how now it's telling us in, in Hebrews here that Jesus learned obedience. Everybody say learned obedience. Now get this, Jesus, he was perfect. He was sinless. I mean, he was a perfect kid, right? I mean, yeah, he liked to run off from his parents and go hang out in church without them knowing it, but he was the perfect kid, right? I mean, and so all of us have to walk and learn things. Jesus learned obedience, and the Word of God says that being made perfect. And so what does it mean? Because it wasn't that Jesus was not not perfect before, But what was it? It was that Jesus still had to walk through all of these temptations. Jesus had to walk through these sufferings. Jesus had to walk through these challenges. If he had not had to walk through them, we would not be able to relate with him like we're able to today. We would just feel like he's a a distant God and operates on on a whole different plane than we do. But because he learned it, because he had to be reared up by his parents, because he had to obey his mom and father and growing up, because he had to press through those times of of suffering and those times when, when he was being ridiculed and those times when it became obvious, painfully obvious of what he was gonna have to go through It was in these times of obeying through the tough times that Jesus' perfection was complete. You see, the blood that was applied when Jesus bled out and when Jesus breathed his last, that blood that was applied was applied to the heavenly mercy seat. Christ appeared in the the heavenly tabernacle. Let's read in Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, and then 23 and 
24, Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12 and 23 and 24. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us eternal redemption. Drop down to verse 23 now in Hebrews chapter 9. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Amen. So when Christ breathed his laugh, bled out upon the cross, the how of what happened, the how of what happened was Jesus immediately appeared in heavenly places. You see, when Moses built the tabernacle and then followed by David assigning or the finances and Solomon building the temple, these tabernacle, these earthly tabernacles, whether the tent or whether that made of stone, gold, bronze, and silver and the alike and wood, these were just copies of a heavenly tabernacle. The earthly pattern, the, the pattern that was followed here on earth was just a pattern that was given from heaven. So here in, in heaven, there is this, there was this this mercy seat in heaven. There was a place in heaven where Jesus came and Jesus presented his blood. When he passed through the heavens, it wasn't three days later. It wasn't after he rose from the grave and he tells her, oh, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. No, no, no. Jesus had already, he already looked to the, to the one hanging on his side and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And at the moment the Israelites offered their blood on that, on that door and the, the angel of death had passed by and the dawn had risen upon their land. They were, they were finding themselves exiting the land of bondage and slavery towards and into the promised land. It was, it was an immediate exit and entry. And it was at this point when Jesus, when he bled his last on earth, that that blood that was no longer on earth was then being applied in that heavenly tabernacle. That's the how the blood was applied once. Jesus, our high priest, who passed through 
the heavens and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The demand for blood was satisfied in entry into new life began. The proof of the blood was applied to the heavenly tabernacle, not to an earthly copy, but in the heavenly tabernacle itself, making a way for the things to come. Making a way for the things to come. Now, with that thought, we're going to now we're going to now go back to the day of the resurrection. This was the the theology, if you would, behind the very simple sort of just bullet point theology behind what happened when Christ died on the cross. But now, in the three days, the three nights had passed, and Jesus obviously rose from the grave, and we're in John chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, or the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then... The other disciple who came to the tomb first went in and he saw and believed. You know, there was something, there was a whole lot of things obviously happening on this resurrection morning. But there was something that, that small yet significant that took place. Small that we don't tend to focus on it a whole lot, but significant because Jesus or apparently somebody took the time to do it. But when the disciples came to the tomb that resurrection morning, understanding that at this point in time, Jesus had already passed through the heavens. The blood has been applied. New life has become possible. And the disciples came and they looked into the tomb. And when they looked in there, there were obviously the, the grave clothes and there's some, there's some thinking around that that maybe we'll dig into on another, on another day. Or maybe not. I mean, were the clothes just sort of there or were they... What would have really been cool? And we don't know. Maybe we, this is one of those things that we're going to ask the Lord one day, right? No, probably not. Was it sort of just like, were the, were the clothes just sort of like mummified yet just like empty? <laughs> I mean, I wonder. Kind of like with, I mean, with Lazarus, you know, because when they, when, they, when they wrap a corpse and then they, they apply this balm and everything, then this, this becomes like mummified. It becomes hard. I'm just curious, and it's a completely side, probably unimportant thought and note, but was it just the, the clothes just sort of there but empty, kind of like mummified that were in with like nothing in there? I don't know. It would have been kind of cool, but maybe not. But one thing that was noted, it didn't tell us whether that was the case or not, but one thing that was noted was that the handkerchief that was separately not part of the grave clothes that was wrapped around 
his head, which was a part of their burial process. It was a regular part to do. But this handkerchief that was wrapped around his head was, was off and folded and put on the side, as many of us are aware and have seen in the scriptures. And we think, you know, to ourselves, you know, that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting little detail to put into there. But there's something, there's something a little bit more to it, and, and how significant it is, it is in the, the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure. But, but when I read through verses 7 and 8, I see a connection with believing and perhaps what happened with the handkerchief as well. Because it says in verse 7, in the handkerchief, he make, goes again, makes note that the handkerchief that was on his head was now off by itself, folded. Off alone by itself, not with the grave clothes, but obviously placed someplace, obviously folded. And then the disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. And when he saw, and to me, and when he saw is, is combining everything that he saw in there. He saw, when he looked in and he saw that, okay, the body's not there. Stolen, you know, something else happened. Remember, they, they're not putting all this together yet. The body's not there. The grave clothes are just there. But when he saw what he also saw, which verse 7 just told us, when he saw the hanky. The hanky's over here folded. And it says, when he looked in and saw, then he believed. So he, again, he saw that the body wasn't there. That could have been a number of different things, perhaps. He saw that the grave clothes were still there. It meant that he left kind of like in a Lazarus fashion, either bearing all or somehow being clothed by, by light or something else. But then he also saw the hanky. And you put all these things together, next thing you know, it says that he saw and believed. Now, I'm no Jewish man, and, and you know, you, you study and you do your best to, to be studied and approved. But you go and, and read up on some of this tradition of, of a Jewish household and, and the relation between the servants and the, the home, the household owners and the masters. And there's this, there's this story connected to this hanky. And it goes like this. It says, when the servants set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating. And the servant would not dare touch that table until the master was finished. If the master was done eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers, his mouth, clean his beard, make sure there's no food stuck up in the beard, and he would wad up that napkin and just sort of toss it on the table. The servant would then know, hey, I can come clear the table, for in those days the wadded napkin meant I'm done. But if the master got up from the table for whatever reason and folded his napkin and laid it beside his plate, the servant would know to not to touch anything because the folded napkin meant, I'm not finished yet. 
<laughs> and the folded napkin meant, <laughs> the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. <laughs> now, again, I'm no Jewish man, and I'm no Jewish household, so, you know, this is what I'm reading. This is what I'm studying out. It sounds good. I'll go with it. But when he saw everything, listen to me, when he saw everything, Jesus left his disciples in the tomb exactly what they needed to see to be able to believe. If somebody is there, you give the Lord a hand clap right there. Listen, when is the last time... This is both maybe a little alarming. I hope it doesn't draw back any bad memories. But when is the last time that any thief came and broke into your car or broke into your house and, and took something that belonged to you and went and made sure that your bed was made? <laughs> or, or, went and, or went and said, oh, you know, I'm going to take their TV, but let me go get their laundry and fold their laundry real quick for them and, and just leave their laundry folded. No, no. When they saw this, I mean, there might have been a lot of questions running through their mind with the, the missing body. But when they put it all together, they believed because the message was, I'm not finished, and I'm coming back for you. Shh. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you, you know, the Lord knows how to get his message across. And John, if we jump now a little bit further in that same chapter of John, again, having Jesus, having passed through the heavens. Say that with me. Jesus having passed through the heavens. Way too much. Passed through the heavens. One more time. Passed through the heavens. Jesus having passed through the heavens already and, and just putting that blood on the altar so that, so that new life and deliverance from slavery and bondage, leaving a clear indication that I'm not done, I'm coming back. Now we get to John chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. And eight days later, I love eight days later. I have to mention it at least one time every week after resurrection weekend because that's today. I mean, if you include the resurrection, if you include the resurrection day itself, you know, after all, the, after all the appearing that he did on the resurrection day, eight days later is the next Lord's Day. It's the next Lord's Day. Wow, his timing. Jesus loves to show up at church. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Making note that Thomas was with them because Thomas was not with them the last time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side, and do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. You know, when Jesus and 
Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 7, when it says that he emptied himself and took upon the form of man, took upon, he humbled himself and took upon the form of a man. This was not a temporary taking upon the form of a man. It wasn't like, and I remember when this, when this truth first exploded in my heart so many years ago as a, as a new Christian, when I first realized, oh my goodness, Jesus became a man, took upon the form of a man forever. Not just, oh, I'm going to do this right now just to sort of do this for you, and then I'm going to go back to being, you know, light (laughs) and just spirit. Jesus took upon the form of a man forever. Not only did he take upon the form of a man, think about this. You think about going to heaven one day. You think about when you think about your glorified body, what is the first thing that you often think about? I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a stab here. I'm just going to kind of walk out and just go out on the, the plank here. But normally when we think about our glorified body, we're like all the deficiencies. <laughs> we're like, oh, thank the Lord, I'm going to have a glorified body one day. Right? I mean, maybe at least one or two of us have thought like along those lines, especially if, if we're dealing with sickness and for whatever reason we just can't get our, our miracle and our healing or we're, we're dealing with some struggles and some sufferings. We got our thorn in the flesh. We're just like, thank God for a glorified body one day. Here Jesus is. He shows up eight days later. He looks at Thomas, and when Jesus was glorified. He rose from the grave. He's no longer in the weakness of the flesh, but he's in his glorified body. When he shows himself to Thomas, he says, here, check out the scars. Here, check out, put your hand in my side. His side obviously still had a hole in it. It was healed and glorified and solidified whole and all in order to be that eternal lamb slain for all those who would believe. We have a Savior whom, like Thomas, saw on that eighth day later, when Thomas saw those scars upon Christ, we have a Savior who bears those scars today. He bears the scars that he took upon his body for all of us. And he kept those scars for us. When, when John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, Thomas, we always got to pick on Thomas just a little bit each, each year. But, but Thomas isn't so much different from anybody in the house. I mean, Thomas might actually be more like many of us than, than a lot of the other Disciples. Now, you're not going to raise your hand to that point. I get it. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm all about Thomas. I'm just curious. Any Thomases in the house? No, don't raise your hand. 
Nobody's ever going to, I'm, I'm Thomas. And in Thomas's story of unbelief, I mean, wasn't it the, the like we always say, I don't want to miss church because what happens if, if we miss church? It'll be the day that Jesus walked the aisles. When we first got saved, Christina and myself, and, and it was when we first, I, well, I can speak for myself in 94 when I first came into the kingdom of heaven and the, the church and being a Christian, it was 94 was like the church was just, just on fire for the Lord. It was, it was different in a lot of ways than, than the overall global church is today. I mean, God was pouring out his spirit in a fresh, new way. The church as a whole was much more on fire for the things of God. Their lives were much more representative of the things of Christ being important. And I remember with, with me and the crew that we had run with, you know, be like, wait, I'm not missing church. I ain't no way I'm missing church today. I'm not missing church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, any revival meeting. I'm not missing church on any night because sure enough, the day that I miss church is the day that Jesus is going to show up incarnate in the service and everybody's going to be like, man, bro, you missed it. Jesus was here. Now you know what Thomas was feeling. Thomas wherever he was. I mean, Thomas missed church. That's what really happened. Thomas's mistake was not, was not the doubting per se, but his mistake was, dude, where were you when we were all here and Jesus showed up incarnate in our little room? And Thomas is like, no, no, you're messing with me. He's going to have to, he's going to have to, I'm going to have to see it myself. I'm going to have to touch his scars and put my hand in his side. I mean, Thomas's, Thomas's blunder was simply not staying connected and staying plugged in because all the others were there. It was whatever that 95% attendance, Thomas was the five. And next thing you know, he got dubbed forever. He's the doubter because Jesus shows up. He's not there. And they're like, dude, I have no idea how that applies. <laughs> Take it as it comes and we'll go with it from there. So why did Jesus do this? As we kind of bring this to a conclusion. Why did he do all of this? Why did our Heavenly Father send His Son? Why, why was the blood speaking for all those millennium? Why did Jesus had to apply the blood onto that heavenly tabernacle? Well, it, He said it clearly in John chapter 14 and verse 3. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Jesus 
the blood speaking, Jesus passing through and applying it, was so that he could come and take a people for himself. You see, heaven is not about hammer and nails building us a great mansion. You know, we love our houses. We love our homes. Everybody love your home. I love my home. If you love your home, raise your hand. You love your home. If you don't love your home, raise your hand. We'll pray for you. No. We'll get there. But we, people love our houses. And, man, we, we think, oh, sometimes we just get all off, off tilt, you know, thinking, you know, heaven, mansion, etc. No, it's not about, you know, the building, the structure per se that we may or may not have in, in the kingdom of God. But the fact that the hammer and the nails already accomplished what they needed to accomplish here on earth in the body of Christ. The purpose of what Christ did, the purpose of the blood speaking for millennium past and and until his return is so that Jesus can take for himself a people to be in heaven which is defined by the presence of God himself. You see, the place prepared was prepared by blood in order to create access into God's presence. Our creator knows best. Our creator, you say, what do I mean by that? Listen, the concept of of heaven, a heavenly eternal dwelling, it, it can be overwhelming. Is anybody overwhelmed by that thought? I'm just curious. A, a eternal heavenly dwelling. I mean, we have a hard time wrapping our head some, you know, around the next 20 years, right? I mean, we're trying to figure out the next 10 years. You know, we got 10-year plans, 20-year plans. I mean, when God thinks in terms of planning, he was putting together like, you know, eternity one, eternity two, eternity three plans, never ending. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of hard for us in our present state, apart from when we're, when we're completely in the spirit, which, which frankly is, is not often. We, we tap into the things of the spirit and we do our best to walk in the spirit, but to be like completely enraptured in the spirit and and be surrounded in with eternal things it happens and there are visions and dreams but it's not it's not a place where we live per se from moment to moment so this concept of a eternity in heaven if Jesus did all this so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven and yet we're just sitting there like scratching our heads a little bit saying lord i i just i just don't quite feel it i don't quite get it It just doesn't all make sense yet. How can I be happy for eternity in heaven? I mean, we think our happiness is our children or our grandchildren. Or if our tomatoes are growing this year. (laughs) Or if our, you know, the fish were biting. Or if I could find a turkey in the woods somewhere. But our creator knows best. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, it says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You see, your creator knows best. He made you. He formed you. He put the desires and he made you look and talk in in the way that you are today. Surely this creator who, who knows everything, as the scriptures say, even as I have been fully known, surely the creator who fully knows you knows what's going to fully satisfy you. And even though our finite understanding that for now we see in a mirror dimly, seeing in this mirror dimly is that you are understanding in part. It doesn't all make sense. Even even much of what I'm saying today, it's it's just sort of hidden and you're taking in as much as you can but it's still just dimly. It still doesn't all make full sense yet. But there's coming a day. There's coming a time. Rest assured, and this takes faith. It's the same type of faith that you needed to get saved. When you take that step of faith and you're like, Jesus, come into my heart. I need you, please, or however you did it. Jesus, whatever. Jesus, However you did it, the faith that you took to get saved, this is a faith walk. From faith to faith, the just live by faith. And we have this faith in trusting our creator that just as he fully knows us today, we yet to fully know him. We're yet to fully know him. And what I'm attempting to do right now is is increase your expectation, increase your desire and your faith, and increase your, your longing to be in that eternal dwelling with Christ. Listen to what this author writes. He says, none has ever immediately seen the Father but the Son, And none else sees the Father any other way than by the Son's revealing Him. And in heaven, the spirits of just men made perfect do see Him as He is. They behold His glory. They see the glory of His divine nature, consisting in all the glory of the Godhead. So they, those who are in heaven are seeing all the splendor and the majesty of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unreservedly are seeing them clearly. His beauty in all of his perfection, his great majesty, his almighty power, his infinite wisdom and holiness and grace, they see the beauty of his glorified human nature. That's a beautiful thing there. In the glory which the Father has given him 
as God-man, the mediator. For this end, Christ desired that his saints might be with him, that they might behold his glory. In Mark chapter 3, and we'll close with this, and if the worship team could go ahead and come. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And just close your eyes as I read this last verse today. Everybody in the house, just close your eyes for a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. It says that, and he went up on the mountain and he called to himself those whom he desired. And they came to him. You see, I want to assure you today that Jesus calls and we, his people, are able to hear. He calls those whom he desires. And that is, in other words, saying when you feel or you felt the tug on your heart, and you feel the tug on your life towards God, towards a relationship with a Savior, it's because Jesus desires for you to be with Him. By faith, we know heaven is a beautiful place. But by faith, we know that heaven is this beautiful place because it is the dwelling place of the presence of God. By faith, we know that God's presence in eternity will be all satisfying. Let me say that one more time. God's presence in our eternal abode, heaven, will be all satisfying for all eternity. And God, our heavenly father, created you to be with him. What is the worst part of the lake of fire, the worst part of hell? It's not the, it's not the heat. It's not the flames. But the worst part is the separation from the presence of God. The blood of Jesus has accomplished passage so that we can be with Jesus for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet and, and just, just open your hearts. I want to pray with us, and, and then we're just going to pray for anybody who would like prayer today. Anybody who would like to receive some prayers. As a matter of fact, if you want to just, we're going to have a, a little pre uh, getting ready for this week for men's and for glory night and for all night prayer. If you just would like prayer this morning, you can go ahead and come to these altars, whether it's to just receive a, a fresh touch from heaven, whether it's to come and personally call upon the name of Jesus. Whatever your heart's desire may be, the blood was shed. Passage has been made. 
into the presence of God. Let it be here on earth as it is in heaven in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we give you glory today. Lord, we give you glory and honor. Lord, we give you power and praise. Lord, we say be magnified, be glorified in this house today, Lord, in every heart. You know, if you're here and you, you need to pray, you've never asked Jesus into your heart before, you know, I want to just pray with you right now, just with, with our hearts open, our eyes closed, if you would like to pray and receive Jesus in your heart, whether you're here in this room or watching from online, if you would like to pray and receive Jesus in your heart, just quickly for yourself and for the Lord, just raise your hand and put it back down really quickly. Just raise your hand and just put it back down as an acknowledgement, as an acknowledgement of what I'm saying. You would like to pray to receive Jesus into your life. We want to make sure that we give you an opportunity right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Everybody with uplifted hearts, and if you would like to just lift your hands with me in this place, let's just all pray together one more time and just to acknowledge, to acknowledge what Jesus has accomplished for us. Just pray with me. Say, Jesus... I need you. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a member of the family of God. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Lord, we thank you today.